Hi, I'm Melissa Boyles. Welcome to Moving Arizona, the podcast for transportation geeks like me who want to hear from the people who are shaping our industry. In this episode, I get to interview Eric Yingling. Eric is a vice president and area manager for Stacy and Woodbeck, my new company. So Eric is a brand new coworker for me, but I've known him for over 15 years. He joined the Valley in the early days of the Central Phoenix East Valley light rail program. So the starter line of light rail and has been here ever since. He's grown his career as we have grown our rail program as a region. He was involved with the Gilbert Road Extension that included the first turbo roundabout for the United States and is now overseeing the work of the Tempe Streetcar Project, which is also introducing a new mode for us. Eric shares his insights of learning from your mistakes, mentoring through official and unofficial capacities. And there's a pretty hilarious outtake at the end of Eric trying to warn me that someone might be in my house. So without further ado... Let's talk to Eric. Welcome, Eric. Thank you so much for joining me on Moving Arizona. I really appreciate you taking the time to do an interview. Yeah, thank you for having me. Can you, for the folks that don't know you very well, describe a little bit about your role with Stacey and Whitbeck? Sure. So my name is Eric Yingling. I'm uh, vice president at Stacey Whitbeck and also area manager. Really, my role is to just make sure that the work that we have ongoing runs smoothly. A lot of owner relationships. Basically, to look at the work that is out there that interests our company and that we have the, the potential ability to, to bid on and to, to win. And so, you know, to look at that work and learn about it and understand it from the perspective of, you know, it's a good job for our company to work on. And then to also help manage and really mentor the folks that are really running the jobs. You know, I mean, I'm an area manager, but really my role is to help guide some of the project managers that work for me because they run the jobs and I'm here for support. And, you know, that's a role that I enjoy a lot is just, you know, listening, helping with problems however I can. So um, that's kind of been a change for me. For a lot of years, I ran work as a project manager. And so, to be able to sort of see it in a little bit different light has been exciting for me to take a step back from the day-to-day problems and issues, but step back and, and sort of see it as a from a, a different perspective and to really provide guidance. Um, you know, I've got some really great people that work for our company here in Phoenix and have a, a lot of experience, but maybe they haven't seen every problem and issue that I've experienced. And so... I can kind of sometimes see those problems coming, you know, be able to answer questions where it's like, hey, why don't you look at it this way or or think about it this way and want to problem solve. That's really my role here. Pursuits, looking at at new work, I, I mentioned a little bit, but generally, you know, keeping in touch with the different agencies around the Valley that have potential options for the, the type of work we do, which is 
you know, we're a heavy civil contractor, but we have a transit focus, which means light rail, streetcars, and commuter rail generally. Yeah. And, you know, we've been fortunate to be here for almost 16 years and part of the light rail system here in Phoenix. I've been very fortunate to been involved in some really successful award-winning projects. And then, you know, also then the kind of the new, the newest mode of the Tempe streetcar, which is pretty exciting for us as well. So just kind of taking a step back a little bit, your role is, like you were saying, help mentor and guide the team that are delivering work presently and helping them sort of navigate through the challenges that both occur, but also trying to anticipate some of that based on your experience. But most of your career has been spent, invested in helping to grow transit in the Valley. Can you talk a little bit about being a part of that original Central Phoenix East Valley line and what your role was then and and even what Stacey Whitbeck's role was back then and, and how it's evolved over time? Yeah, sure. I mean, it it is right. I've been here for 15 years, which seems crazy to me sometimes when I think about that, because the first nine years of my career, I spent, you know, moving around quite a bit. I I started with Stacey Wimpeck right out of college in Oregon and worked on some really cool light rail projects there. Went out to Salt Lake for, you know, UTA's very first line that they built from north-south. So that was a really cool project. Went back to Oregon and was involved with the Portland Streetcar, which, you know, now is really a groundbreaking project and kind of a model for modern streetcars. And I mean, I was a kid, really, in my 20s when I was working on that job. And it's now looking back on on that type of project and, and the impact it's had on the industry is pretty cool to say that you know I was there. And then some other light rail projects. And then I got the opportunity to open an office in San Diego. And that was pretty exciting times too. We were the new kid in town. We had some pretty cool projects that we worked on there in San Diego and, and are still working on there now, but got the opportunity to come to Phoenix. And, and I remember the conversation because I'm married and had a young daughter at the time. And it's like, hey, you're going to move again, but it's going to be two years. It's a two-year job. And then kind of like I've been doing previous, and then you move on and go someplace else. So to say that 15 years later, we're still here and we're still building transit here in the Phoenix area is pretty amazing, for sure. That is pretty amazing. In the early days, you guys joint ventured with a local firm, Sunt, and really helped get their foot in the door as far as building light rail and brought that national expertise to the local market by partnering with the local company. But then in the most recent or latest projects, you've kind of flip-flopped that a little bit as far as who was leading the joint venture and One of those projects was the Gilbert Road extension. And that one was super exciting because it introduced the first turbo roundabout in the United States to Phoenix or via Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And the turbo roundabout, from my understanding, is a roundabout that accommodates rail, regular traffic like cars, bicyclists, and pedestrians all within the same roundabout. And you guys were the first ones in the U.S. with Sunt as your joint venture partner to deliver that, working with Valley Metro and the city of Mesa. What was that like? 
I'll get to the roundabout, but just to talk about our evolution is, you know, we had been looking at the Phoenix market. We heard that LightRail had gotten funding and it sounded like some really good work that was right up our alley. And so we have good relationships with most major contractors in the country. We you know, belong to a lot of contractors, organizations, and have the opportunity to meet and talk to potential partners. And, and especially when you're moving into a new state where you've never done any work, you, know, you want to find a partner that you have similar values and some definitely fit that for us. And we've had a great relationship and they're a great company and definitely helped build what we now sort of become in Phoenix. And so that relationship started with the CPEV project. And, you know, we actually had quite a few different projects. Those were all low bid projects at the time. We built line section four, line section five, the maintenance and storage facility that's now called OMC. So that's, I still call it the MSF some days, which is people look at me and they don't know what I'm talking about. Same here. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, a couple parking rides. There was a systems contract, and we were a subcontract to that contract to build all the traction power substations and the signal buildings. Was that under Mass Electric? It's under Mass Electric, yep. And then the, the first CMAR rail project in Phoenix, which is the Northwest Extension. And that, that was a long, strange journey for sure, because I think it was 2007 when we rewarded the construction manager at risk project. And we moved into Valley Metro's office with the team and we were there every day working in the 101 building. And, and it was exciting. And then one sort of fateful day, and I think it was... June 10th, 2009 at 10.05 a.m. But I could be wrong. <laughs> Probably not. It was, it was something like that. And, and you know, we got the call that they kind of been running the numbers and the economy was down at that time and, and they just didn't have the money. And so they postponed the project. And that was a shock to us because we'd been working on it for two years and we had actually rented an office. Yeah. It was furnished and we had an internet connection, which is some of the most difficult things to get, you know, just the <laughs> infrastructure. Yeah. You know, today, I think it's a little bit easier, but back then, you know, it was like, it was pulling teeth to get that internet hooked up. And we boxed all our stuff up and we moved out of that space. And by the end of the day, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was interesting. And then as time goes on and, the economy picked back up and, you know, the city of Phoenix was very creative in how they were able to get funding for that project, but bring the project back online. And I think in early 13, we broke ground on that project. So that, that was a great project for us and some of our partners. Very different than most of the work that I've been involved with up until that point was all federally funded. Yep. And, you know, you know very specific requirements. And, and that job was local funded all through City of Phoenix, Prop 400, generally through City of Phoenix. And just, I think the team that we assembled had a lot of meetings during pre-construction about what we all thought the team would look like. And I think it was sort of the A-team, in my opinion, from not only Valley Metro side, but the City of Phoenix. We had really good partnerships with even the third-party utilities. And then, you know, we were able to have some really great subcontractors also. So, you know, it was just 
it was one of those jobs where it was fun to come to work every day. And it was crazy and it was super challenging, but it was fun. It was fun to build and we all had a good time, worked hard, but um, you know, it was finished ahead of schedule and had a really cool groundbreaking. And so, you know, that was a, that was a great project for us. And then the next project was the Gilbert Road project, which we're super excited to win. And yes, we did sort of flip the joint venture a little bit where Station Lebec led that joint venture, whereas the previous uh, joint ventures, the sub team had led. It always sort of been very cohesive joint venture where the project manager didn't always work for the lead company. You know, we shared a lot of resources and, and I think that's why a lot of those projects were successful is that, you know, we were, really were a what we call a truly integrated joint venture. Yeah. But the Gilbert Road project was definitely unique in the fact that originally there was two roundabouts. And really? For, yeah. For a lot of design reasons, the, the second roundabout was removed. It had a lot of challenges because of the space required. It would have taken a lot of property. Oh. There was a commercial space we would have had to buy. I think almost all four corners would have ended up having to go away. And, you know, for that community, that would have been a big impact and maybe not as much gain. But they did keep one roundabout. It was a challenging design. It took months and months and months to go through the hazard analysis process and working close with ADOT to make sure that it was safe and it could accommodate everything that it now does. Like you said, it's a traffic roundabout on Main Street in Mesa, you know, so lots of cars, bicycles. And so, you know, there is a bike lane on Main Street. And then there's unique pedestrian crossings. Sea crossings are something that we've done in the past on other projects, but to incorporate them into a roundabout like this and then having light rail through the middle of it is pretty unique for sure. Yeah. I mean, we've actually, you know, Station Winnipeg has actually built one other roundabout prior to this. Mm -hmm. in Salt Lake near the University of Utah. It's right one corner of Rice-Eccles Stadium at the University of Utah. And it's a, it, it is a roundabout with light rail going through it. It's a three-legged roundabout and it has traffic signals. So it's a little bit of a hybrid different than this. So this one was definitely very unique and different than that one where that is controlled by traffic signals, whereas this one is a true roundabout without traffic signals. It does have gates. So when the train comes through, the gates come down, right? Gates come down, yes. Okay. And even that took a lot of iterations to get that right. You know, you know the gates weren't long enough. They were coming down too slow. The, the signaling system to get the trains where the, the gates come down took a lot of effort from a lot of smart people to get that right. And it's pretty neat to see it working. Yeah. It's exciting to see something that, I mean, it's innovative, but it's a brand new thing for our rail industry in the U.S. It's truly multimodal with regard to the type of traffic it accommodates from ped and bike and cars and trains. Right. And to see that functioning like it was designed is cool. And then to now have built a second one in town is equally exciting. And, and the roundabout there at Ash and Rio Salado for the Tempe streetcar is even more unique. How so? Well, it's the train is doing a 90 degree turn, right? So the train is on Rio Salado uh -huh. and is traveling westbound. And when it gets to the roundabout now at Ash, it goes south and a roundabout. 
And pedestrians don't cross in the roundabout like they do on Main Street in Mesa, but it is very unique. And so if you haven't seen it work, I mean, there's not trains running yet on right. that. But the roundabout is open. It's been open for months and works great because that was always a strange intersection. If you remember Rio Salado in front of Tempe Beach Park, just kind of an odd intersection. Even navigating that with a car is a little bit like, where am I supposed to go? Now you insert a streetcar in the middle of it. Right. So there are going to be some traffic signals. So then now it's a yet a slightly different hybrid because it's maybe a little bit more like the Salt Lake roundabout where it's more of a three-legged roundabout than just a Main Street roundabout. But it's, you know, I, we think it's pretty cool to build the two here in town so far and, and they're both so different from each other. There's reasons why roundabouts are successful. And, you know, I drive through it once a week just because I drive through the jobs and try to see what the progress is and how things are going. And I just like to look at things like as a, you know, just a traveling public. And I try to take off my construction hat and go, does this work for me as a traveling public? And, you know, when you get through something that you built that works, you're like, oh, yeah, we did a good job. It's pretty slick. Yeah. (laughs) And that also is the first project that introduced a a new type of vehicle. All of the other extensions, it's light rail, basically it's the same vehicle. And this Tempe Streetcar project, it's not an extension of light rail. It's still a contract through Valley Metro, but it has to interface with light rail tracks and get out to the operations maintenance center. How did that work? Well, right. So this is a modern streetcar project. It's contracted by Valley Metro. It'll be operated by Valley Metro. And like you said, it, it'll go back to Valley Metro's MSF, what we call it the OMC um, now. But <laughs> that's where the cars will go at night, where they have the maintenance done. But it is a completely different vehicle, different manufacturer, very different feel. It's a shorter vehicle. Streetcars in general are shared use with travel lanes. And so you could be driving down Patchy Boulevard and there's a streetcar right behind you. you (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Would be a little strange or there's one in front of you in the same lane and you're sharing that lane. That I think can be a little bit strange at first until you get used to it. But you know, it's, it's been successful in a lot of cities and we've been fortunate since we went back to build some really cool streetcars across the country. And some of the uniqueness of the Tempe streetcar is that it's not only a modern streetcar going through a college campus and a busy sort of downtown environment that Tempe has become because it has changed so much, you know, in the last 15 years that I've been here. Yeah, with all the high-rise development and office structures and buildings and stuff like that that are right there along Tempe Town Lake. You've always had the university activity and Mill Avenue and that kind of thing. But now with all of the development down there, it's a completely different dynamic. Yeah, completely different for sure. Just the look and the feel and everything that's happened on the lake. But the other interesting thing about that project is Mill Avenue is a unique environment, especially between Rio Salado and Mill Avenue, you know, bars and restaurants and, and the campus and, and how it's integrated and also some beautiful old trees, yeah, you know, street line trees. And so one of the things that happens with some transit, right, is that 
the overhead electric, yeah, you might have to cut some trees. There's certain restrictions. And so to go to off-wire technology for part of this project is it's unique and you know it's definitely the cutting edge of the streetcar technology. And so we are excited that you know we've built a few in the country, in Dallas and in Detroit and in Oklahoma City that are you know using off-wire technology. So to be I think the cutting edge again of the technology and, and just the uniqueness of a new streetcar in Tempe and then this off-wire technology, you know, through Mill Avenue, kind of, you know, where, where it goes is Mill to Rio Salado in front of the Tempe Town Lake and then down Ash a bit. Yeah. So, you know, the new Whole Foods, sort of the end of that line. So, you know, that's a big change now is Tempe's got this high-rise condo with the Whole Foods underneath and streetcar right out in front. So I think Tempe is unique in that it attracts all ages. It's a tip. It's cool. It's a university town. But, I mean, there's a lot of older people that are well-educated that want to be near the heart of that technological sort of new urban environment. It's happening in Phoenix. It's taken a bit. But even downtown Phoenix has changed so much since I got here, you know, that I remember going to meetings in 2005 downtown and you'd leave the office at five and you'd be waiting for the light to turn and you'd kind of look and say, well, why am I, what am I waiting for? You know, yeah, there was no cars, and nobody there. There's no restaurants open. There was no, there's, at that point, there's nowhere to live even. Yeah. You know, it wasn't the grocery stores and the bowling alleys and the bars and the restaurants that are, that are there today. And then just the, the development that's kind of happened around downtown and around the light rail. Yep, absolutely. So we've definitely been excited to be part of it and to see the city grow like it has. And there's a lot of other reasons, but I think there's a lot of facts that, that state that the trans-oriented development around the light rail has helped a lot for sure. And it it helps in a lot of cities that we do work in. So. Absolutely. Like you said, it starts to change the dynamic. It changes the interest, the opportunity. Like a lot of people don't want to be stuck in a car if they need to go somewhere. And we're now becoming more and more a, a city, a major metropolitan area where you can connect from Mesa to Tempe to Phoenix and up in North Phoenix, where you can get on one mode of transportation and you don't ever have to get into a car. And that's huge. If you're a student, if you're a young person, you know, don't have a driver's license, if you're someone who's older and doesn't want to drive anymore. And it's like speaks to that comment from a, a previous guest who said that, you know, we're really looking at developing a transportation system accommodating all modes that serves people from eight to 80. And certainly streetcar does that. Certainly light rail does that. Not that we would encourage small children to be on either by themselves, but (laughs) it's not hard for them if they're with an adult to navigate that. It's really interesting to see how things have evolved over time. And you've definitely been a part of the fabric of the, uh, the evolution of that. I know there've been 
all kinds of things that have come up from needing, you know, I was around back when we passed Transit 2000, but then when T2050 passed and that presented an opportunity for growth and just all of the different hurdles and milestones we've overcome, including last year when we had the people that were trying to stop rail construction with this Proposition 105 that went to the ballot and everybody really had to rally and get out there and be engaged and educate their community around them from a business perspective, colleagues, neighbors. It took everybody getting out to vote to stop that from happening. And it's been a kind of a wild ride over the last 15 to 20 years. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, you know, I'm not from here. I grew up in Portland, Oregon, which is definitely in print than Phoenix. But yeah, but to see sort of the evolution of the town, the city, the valley since I moved here is, is pretty exciting. I mean, I do think that it comes down to what kind of community that you want to live in and what do you want to make it be? Because that presentation I, that you mentioned, eight. Eight and eighties was, you know, that was a really cool uh, presentation. And I, sorry, I, I don't remember the speaker's name, but it was impactful. Yeah, Jason it, Stevens. Yeah, Jason Stevens. Yeah. Um, because I think people do want something different. In America, we have a love of cars, but, you know, we do have a love of trains also. I mean, I think you look back at the railroad in this country that really built America and every major city had some type of transit, light rail, streetcars at one point. One thing I learned being in this industry is you go to to big cities and you're working on a new light rail job. You find old tracks, you dig up old tracks that were there at one point. And there's usually some old timer that'll come up and I, I remember riding the train, you know, when I was a kid. And <laughs> it's exciting to bring it back. And then in some senses, it's sad to see that we tore so much of it out and that we're starting over and we're sort of re-figuring out that that is what people want is that they want, you know, reliable transportation and I love cars myself, but I do too. I I also love transit, and and especially when I'm in a big city, I don't want to rent a car. I don't. I, I want to, you know, ride light rail from the airport in town, and I want to go to dinner, and I want to ride it to the next place and around, and, and ride it back to the airport and get on my way. And so, I was fortunate right out of college to do a European vacation. I had planned it for a long time. I said, I'm not ready to start my career just yet and plan this whole trip out to Europe and bought a URL pass and you know went all over Europe for three months. Wow. And rode the train from city to city. And then, you know, the major cities, Paris and Barcelona and London, rode the subways and the underground systems. And it was such a cool experience. And coming back and getting my first job in engineering and construction, it's not exactly what I thought. I really studied civil engineering, but geotechnical was my sort of focus. And I, uh-huh. that's what I wanted to do. And I had a job and, oh, for whatever reason, it fell through. The company that offered me a job had bought another company and basically gave my job away. Uh-huh. So this after I got back from Europe and I was broke broke as could be <laughs> and was so excited to start work and have this job lined up and then to have to go back to eating the streets. 
I was working on jobs and trying to do interviews and I found an ad in our engineering school's job board. And I think it was a three by five card and it was like, hey, looking for construction help, engineers. And that was, I answered that. And that was for Stacey Wetback on a new light rail extension in Portland, Oregon. So that's sort of my step into transit. And it's been a pretty exciting career for sure. To be part of the forefront of bringing transit and new technologies to the people. And that's something that I'm proud of and that I like to say that helping people get around and potentially take cars off the road. That's not necessarily the goal. It's just to give alternative to people who want something different. So it takes some cars off the road. Yeah. But that's not a bad thing. We're not trying to get rid of cars. We want to do our part to try to keep congestion from getting any worse than it is. And if there are people that would rather not take their car, that's that fewer cars on the road for those of us that are still having to drive somewhere. Car doesn't work for everybody. I mean, I have an 18-year-old daughter. We live more in the burbs and I don't have that opportunity for her to get on a commuter train at trying to think where some of those stations are. But anyways. Um, <laughs> where our future commuter rail stations are. <laughs> yeah. you know, the cars are expensive, and especially for a young person, it's, it's kind of outrageous to yeah. pay for car and insurance and gas when you, you, know, you could buy a monthly transit pass for just pennies compared, compared to a, a vehicle. And, and it's dangerous. I mean, it's... There's a reason why the insurance rates are so much higher than other states in Arizona because it's it's dangerous. There's crazy people out there and just so many people and packed into the roads that we have and everybody seems to be in a hurry. And And we got lots of lanes and high speeds Mm -hmm. where we're for a long time developed around and designed around moving cars. And we still in large part are, but we're now we're incorporating these other modes and offering some relief to congestion for the motoring public, the people driving. And as we're looking at the Valley's growth over the next 10, 20 years, we're going to double in size. So we can't afford to not be investing in these other modes. And it's pretty exciting, I would think, to be a part of introducing those new modes and continuing to help the Valley evolve and grow. And looking forward a little bit, you started out young engineer, fresh out of school, been with the company for 24 years, grown your career from the boots on the ground to running jobs and then mentoring other people that are running jobs and and then keeping an eye toward what's on the horizon. So as you look at the future of the Valley and what you've been hearing and seeing, what do you think is on the horizon for, for you as well as for Stacey and Whitbeck and for the community? I mean, you've been here for a long time, but still bring a different perspective. Right. Well, I hope that it involves a lot more public transit for sure. I think yep. Valley Metro has some plans to continue to grow, but I think that they can think outside the box and really develop a, you know, a new long-range plan that brings different alternatives to the valley. Now that you've got 28 miles and growing of light rail, and it serves a lot of different communities, but I'm excited to see what the Tempe Streetcar does for the city of Tempe and its 
community. I think it's going to be exciting and I think it's going to be really popular. And if streetcar can serve people potentially of Mesa, I know there's been talk Glendale. of Glendale. There's been talk of even downtown Phoenix, just yeah. to see what's happened with ASU campus and, and the sort of the arts district and everything that's happening down there. I love going down there and, and my kid drags me to concerts and stuff down there. Where they're <laughs> it's super fun. And you know, there's just so much going on now down there that used to be sort of vacant land. And I think if that could get served by, by transit, it would be successful. And, and then, you know, further into the East Valley, you know, I've, I've lived in the East Valley for 15 years. And, and I think that it's just right for yet a different solution like commuter rail. There's so many people. I was one of them. I, you know, I traveled into town every day from the East Valley. And if you got up early in the morning, it would take you 40 minutes. But it didn't matter what time you left at night. It would be an hour and a half plus. And Easy. that's just in bumper-to-bumper traffic. And if you just have you know, reliable transportation, and especially as a professional that's driving to work every day, if you could get on a train, have your laptop, do work, get work complete, not be stressed out when you got there and then get there efficiently, inexpensively, and then do the same when you got home and not be that kind of frazzled person that sits in their driveway for a few minutes before they walk in the house because you just spent two hours in bumper to bumper traffic, I think would change people's home life and outlook and then just personal happiness. Gives you a little bit of your life back. Yeah. Prepare, decompress, read, chill, take a nap, whatever. There's so much stress when you're bumper to bumper and you're not going anywhere and you got to watch everyone around you and make sure they're not going to run into you and or you're going to run into someone and God forbid if there is an accident and you're stuck there even longer. It's just, we got to provide some relief and MAG is great plan for commuter rail for the Valley. We just need to find some opportunities to introduce the mode. And I think there's a lot of interest in it and hope we're a part of the team that gets to bring commuter rail, just like you're the team that's bringing streetcar and brought the roundabouts and that's all exciting stuff. Yeah, it it has been exciting. That's why I love this company and what we do so much is that you know, you feel like you're doing something for the community as a whole and being green. And there's lots of cool things about transit that I like. I mean, not that building freeways is bad. That's great too. But, but mm-hmm. being, building street cars and light rail and commuter rails, is, it feels good doing something that helps people. Yeah, you're helping to evolve communities and providing mobility and very... Interesting, interesting work. And, you know, I, as I, I think about where you started in your career and where you were when you came to the Valley with regard to your career and, and how far you've come since then, I would imagine that you've had a lot of great mentors in your time. And I know you're someone that has in a official capacities and in unofficial capacities served as a mentor for other people as well. And as you might be aware, the impetus for this podcast was to get people from industry in front of our WTS mentorship group 
young women who are together, but doing the whole thing virtually. And it's been a challenge for sure. But um, I like to ask our guests if, you know, you have some words of wisdom, some thoughts on mentorship, some advice for our young people going through the program that you'd like to share? Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't think I had an official mentorship. I mean, I definitely learned a lot from a lot of different people in my career. I think that the official mentorship program is so important, though, because sometimes people that I learned from, they didn't maybe even know that they were teaching me anything. But And it could have been a crusty old superintendent to, you know, even another peer that just seemed to have it together. I had a what I would call a friendship mentorship with somebody that I just, I valued what they did and how they acted. And I just tried to emulate as a young person. So, I mean, that is, a, is one way, you know, if you see somebody and yeah, maybe it's not official, but they act well in meetings, they, they're prepared, they say the right things, that, you know, they listen. So those are some of the qualities that, that I learned from this one individual and, and then just other people is how do you treat others? And I think that's super important. And if you can find a, you know, like an official mentor that you can talk to and, and have kind of a program where they're going to help you on the way, I mean, it's, I think it's really great. And, and I don't feel like I've been a mentor officially to anybody, I'm, you know, because there are programs. Sure, sure. But I try to guide people as much as I can. And I, I feel like I have an open door policy. And a lot of times it's filled throughout the day. Yeah. And it could be anything. You know, I love talking to people about, you know, like our benefits, our company benefits are great. We have great benefits. Yeah. You know, it's an amazing company. But, you know, from somebody coming out of school, a 401k is pretty foreign. Yeah. And just talking to somebody about the importance of it and understanding just what it is exactly and, and, and why it's important. I mean, it could just be someone's talking to me about something else and, you know, I kind of bring up things like that. And like, when's a good time to buy a house? Right. Buy a car. I mean, those kinds of things just that have nothing to really do with work. It's just life. But life success is professional success. You know, you can be killing it at work. And if you got sideways financially on something or you didn't plan for retirement and all of a sudden you're 60 and thinking, oh my God, I'm going to have to work until I die. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And it's like me personally, I don't, I don't come from a background where my family invested in real estate or had 401ks and stuff like that. Like, shoot, I'm the first person in my family to go to college. <laughs> so <laughs> having peers or whether it's a peer or it's a supervisor or just someone in your organization that's willing to take the time and say, hey, you know, have you ever thought about this? It could be really life-changing for someone, even though it might not be that big of a deal for the person that's passing along the information. Right. Yeah, it's, it's the opportunity, right? It's the knowledge and the opportunity to learn about stuff and to do, to do things is important because, yeah, sometimes it perpetuates. If you, if you don't know, and right, if you were the first one to go to college and people in your family didn't go to college, so it's like, okay, after high school, you get a job and you stick that out and that's what you do and that's what you know. 
Yeah. And so to get the opportunities and just some of that, impart some of that knowledge on the people and then to try to help people to put it into action and to do, because I think it's so important that you do. You can read a lot of books, but if you don't get the opportunity to practice that, it just goes away, right? Mm -hmm. And so, especially in a career, you need the opportunity to try new things because, you know, everybody doesn't have the same career path, you know what I mean? To get to whatever it is you want to be. If you want to be the CEO of a company someday, then, you know, there's lots of ways to get there. Um, But if you want to be estimating or if you want to be in quality control or whatever it is you want to be in, there's so many different ways to get there, but it's important to get a wide range of experience and do different things. So then you can either figure out that's not what you want to do or understand the different aspects of the work so you can be the best that you can be. If you're a project manager, you don't necessarily need to know how to do every little thing, but you need to know enough about it to understand the pitfalls and problems and how to avoid those things. So I made a lot of errors, right? I've messed some stuff up. And so if I can if I can sort of see that coming or I can impart some knowledge with people that say, hey, okay, here's some things to look at. There's this sort of sink or swim mentality, right? Where you're just like, well, you got to go, you know, break some eggs. But I don't know. I mean, if you can avoid it, right? <laughs> it's probably better. You can see it coming and go, oh, boy, I barely missed that problem. Yeah. And we're able to counteract it or head it off in the pass. Hopefully, you don't always have to screw things up to understand, <laughs> to understand them because that's no fun either, for sure. No, some of our, our uh, most lasting lessons are through the mistakes we make, but hopefully at some point we can either learn from other people's mistakes and not repeat them yeah. <laughs> or just give them an example of here's what I did that was really dumb and <laughs> why I think you should not go down the same path. <laughs> yeah, my very first job as a project manager, I thought I knew everything. It's kind of like, you know, when you graduate from high school or you graduate from college, you think you got it all together. And, you know, at that point in my career, I just thought that I understood the work. And I did. I understood the work, but maybe I didn't understand all the pieces and parts that went into making projects successful. And so I, yeah, I learned the hard way. I definitely got the school of hard knocks on that one. Got a lot of practice. So I guess that was good. (laughs) (laughs) And what not to do the next time. Never have too much humility or character, right? (laughs) Yeah, I guess my butt handed to me on that one for sure. But um, yeah, you know, I, I, I learned and learned what not to do. I guess that's the good thing about it. Yeah. Well, I just can't thank you enough for taking the time to do this interview. I know it has been uh, one kind of crazy week for you. And I think it was really awesome to hear about some of the work that's gone on in the Valley that you've been a part of and a little bit about your path and where you see us going as a community. And I just thank you so much for doing this. Well, again, thanks for thinking of me and see what your next chapter is also. Yeah, well, we will see. So I'm jumping in now as your new VP of Development and Diversity. And I think there's a lot of evolution in our future. So 
thanks for welcoming me to the team. Well, great. We're, we're looking forward to it. Many more conversations. So again, I appreciate inviting me to this uh, podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Moving Arizona, the podcast for transportation geeks like me who want to hear from the people who are shaping our industry. Thank you so much, Eric, for taking time out of a pretty hectic week to do this interview. I'm sure that you have nothing but the best in store for you, and I cannot wait to see where your leadership trajectory takes you. Next up, we talk to Becky Miller. Becky is the executive director of the Arizona Transit Association, and she shares with us a little bit about her background and how she came to be the executive director of ASTA. She also shares a little bit about how the organization under her leadership is navigating COVID-19 and our pandemic environment while coming up with some innovative ways to reach their membership and to also introduce a whole new platform for education and training. We also have this outtake from Eric and his uh, not so subtle way of letting me know that there was an intruder in my home. I hope you enjoy it. And I cannot wait for you to join us back next time. So until then, let's get moving. Now, there is somebody, and, and I don't want to frighten you, but there is somebody in your house, it, it appears. Yes, she's supposed to be here. Right. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> not to startle you. But... Yeah, not to startle you. There's somebody with a mask on. That's awesome. I think I'm going to leave that in the front part of this interview. <laughs> don't fuck. Don't look, but not sure how I'm going to help you from over here. (laughs) Yes, just keep talking like everything's normal. (laughs) I was like, okay.